经常有人问我，米凯叔叔，你为什么开始学习中文呢？其实我也不清楚。我四年前第一次上中文课，我好像很快就爱上了这门语言。我跟好多外国人一样，感觉汉语又神奇又好听。但我没想到的是，中文太难学了，而且它给我带来那么大的困扰。四年后，我的中文水平还可以，但我还不满意。最近我在琢磨另一个问题：我为什么还要继续努力的学习中文？我的目的到底是什么呢？这个答案比较简单：我的目的是让别人知道，像我一样的人，没有任何语言天赋的人，也能学会中文。Hello and welcome back to another episode of the I'm Learning Mandarin podcast. I'm your host Misha, and the recording that you just heard was basically the latest in a series of recordings that I'm going to be introducing at the beginning of each podcast. It's basically scripts that I've written in Chinese about the process of learning Chinese. And I'm at the moment going through a process of trying to improve my tones and pronunciation. So I'm finding that by writing these scripts and reading them out, this is quite helpful in that process. So I'm going to be Doing more of them in the coming weeks and months. The basic meaning of what I said was that lots of people ask me why I started learning Chinese in the first place, and I sometimes answer that I'm not quite sure myself. I can't quite remember exactly why I studied, or I didn't really have like a very good reason in the first place. But that now my motivations have become a bit clearer over the time, and one of my strong motivations for continuing to study Chinese is the idea of showing other people that it's possible to do. And particularly for anybody who doesn't feel that learning Chinese comes easily to them, as I think is probably the case for anybody who's ever attempted to learn Chinese, and is certainly the case for me. So on today's podcast, I have a special guest who is Luke Truman. He's a YouTuber, and if you haven't heard of him already, then I recommend definitely check him out. His channel, which I've included a link to in the description, is really all about his journey in learning first of all Cantonese for two years, and for the past two years Mandarin. And it's really insightful because you get to see his entire history from when he first started learning Cantonese through to when he spent a year in Taiwan learning Mandarin. And it's you can really see his whole journey from beginning to right till current moment. And he continues to produce content, advising on. Things that he's learned through the process, and which I personally have found really insightful. So I was very excited to have him on my podcast. And the theme for our discussion was all about things that, in our respective journeys of learning Chinese, we found were more difficult than we expected, as well as things that we found were easier than expected. But before that, I started by asking him how it came about that he initially decided to learn Cantonese four years ago. So when I was at university, I played table tennis at the club. Actually, I was president of the table tennis society at Newcastle University. So when I was there, we had a lot of people from Hong Kong,、uh, Malaysia, and China、uh, join the society, and you know started hanging out with a lot of people from there. Back then, I started dating a girl who's still my current girlfriend. That's actually from Hong Kong. So initially.、Um, I remember she she invited me and she was like, "Hey, you know, come hang out with my friends. It'll be really fun." And I was like, "Yeah, sure. You know, why not?" And then when I went, I couldn't, you know, understand what was going on because they were all speaking Cantonese at the time. I think I, I remember thinking they all made like individual efforts to speak to me in English, but then like the dominant language at the table was Cantonese, and that was really my first time experiencing the barriers of 
being completely monolingual and not understanding anything around you because I guess I was quite fortunate growing up as a native English speaker and then going on holidays to highly touristy places growing up with the illusion that everyone speaks English and you're gonna be able to communicate wherever you go and finding that situation they could all speak English but when they're together they're not going to as a big group of people you know maybe like 10 plus people they're gonna speak in their native language so whenever I went out for food you know like for dim sum or something like that then I found it really hard to try and engage as like part of the group because I just couldn't understand what was going on and it felt you know I mean I remember at the time I was just playing like Clash of Clans on my phone or something because there was like nothing else to do. This was this was when I was studying my master's at the time at Newcastle so when I, when I graduated I moved to quite a let's say remote place uh, for work because I work in engineering so we always go to the middle of nowhere that's just part of the job after uni um so when i was there i noticed i had lots of free time and when i started playing table tennis at the local club there was another guy from hong kong there and i was like you know what i'm gonna start learning a bit of cantonese so i downloaded loads of apps and you know gave it a go and just started learning words like that and when i started it wasn't really very serious it was just kind of you know i was learning words like kind of like electronic flashcards on this app and there was like the letters no audio but then there was a number there and I didn't even know what the number meant. It, now in hindsight, I know it was the tone, but I was just completely ignoring that. Just like trying to say back, like, you know, using English phonetics, what was on the card. And that was a complete disaster. One thing I'm interested in is a lot of people who are facing the prospect of learning a language like Chinese or any language will often refer to the fact that they didn't enjoy languages at school or they had previous negative experiences, or they didn't think that they were any good at languages. Had you previously attempted to learn any other languages, or what were your previous experience with learning languages? So at school, I studied French for, what was it, six years? Um, and I studied German for, what was like, four years? Just about scraped by a C in both, which what I put down to was mostly luck in the multiple choice questions. You know, they, they, were, both my, they were my two worst subjects in school by far. And I guess for me at the time, it was kind of like, you always thought somewhere on the back of your head, yeah, it might be kind of cool to speak another language but then at the same time to me it was just a lesson and I was like oh I got my C that's what I wanted you know I passed I got a GCSE out of it and that was what I wanted and the idea of actually becoming you know fluent in another language to speak to people that that idea didn't even really cross my head uh, until later so for me when I was younger it was very much just like an academic subject but with like no practical use and no ties to the actual country or the culture at all. Mm. One thing that I noticed from watching your channel is that from quite early on, it seems like you embraced the idea of comprehensible input. In my case, this was something that I took a couple of years to realise. I've been learning Chinese for more or less like four years on and off. But the first two years were spent figuring out what I was doing. A very slow process. And it took me a, a long, long time to figure out you need comprehensible input and that whole idea. You need to immerse. It seems to me that it didn't really take you as long. When you first started learning Cantonese, you said at first you were using a few apps, but how long did it take you to realise that you needed to adopt a kind of immersive approach that went beyond apps? Yeah, so, so there wasn't really a kind of eureka moment, so to speak. There, there was through various influences and trying things out and seeing certain blog posts about certain people online, I... I adopted certain things. You know, it's, it's hard to Google how to learn Cantonese and not find the website cantoneseclass101.com. So I ended up using that because I was like, hey, you know, it looks proper professional done. I went to my local library and I got things like Pimsler that I was listening to in the car because I was like, hey, you obviously can't, you know, do with much when I'm driving, but I can get a free Pimsler CD from my local library. Let's just try that, chuck that on in the car. I remember specifically it was, uh, I was quite early stages and maybe doing like the beginner or maybe like the lower intermediate. I can't remember, it was like somewhere about that stage of the 
Cantonese class one one dialogues and even the like intermediate ones they're only like maybe like four or five lines long they just use quote-unquote intermediate vocabulary so I was using that and I remember thinking like hey just just words just don't stick in my head and you know I'd, I'd spent a lot of time I'd listen to an English podcast like the, the, the podcast of them in the lessons on cantoneseclass101.com and they'd talk about basically the grammar and vocabs and words they want to teach you in context for that and then the dialogue I'd listened to maybe once or twice or three times out of push, you know. And I just didn't really make much progress after like a month of that. You know, through looking online, I stumbled across a post by an online polyglot called Ollie Richards. And it was called something along the lines of how to use CantoneseClass101.com to actually learn Cantonese. So me being in the situation I was in, obviously I clicked on it. He made it, he stressed a big point that was, you know, don't spend the time listening to the to the to the podcast. It's just too much English. You'll never make any progress like that. Instead, focus on the dialogues and listen to the dialogues on repeat. You know, download them, put them on your phone, create a playlist, listen to them over and over many times on repeat. And he had this other post which was called Attacking Language Dialogues, um, where he went through his kind of like process of how he tackles a language dialogue. And if everyone's followed me, you know that they, they, they probably sounds quite familiar to what Ollie did because. Well, that, that's basically where I got the idea from and adapted it a little bit since then. But it's basically you start off listening on repeat, then you listen with the transcript, then you look up all the words you don't know reading slowly, go back to listening and reading at the same time, and then take all the peripherals away and just listen. And if anything becomes hazy, then you go back and yeah, you add the transcript on and go over. So I, I used this kind of like more intensive approach, basically focused around the dialogues for like a month or two and also at the same time bought another textbook with CDs called uh, Complete Cantonese by Teach Yourself um, and my progress suddenly went from nothing to, I mean, in hindsight it wasn't amazing but as someone who'd never learned a language before it was tangible, it felt really quick, it felt exciting. So continuing that for a few months and then also watching people like Benny Lewis, I was just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to speak every day. I started jumping on italki and speaking like three or four times a week on that. And I felt quite quickly after a period of about, let's say, half a year and then also moving on to more difficult materials like uh, Cantonese conversations and other books with like short radio extracts and stuff on that I quickly got up to the point where I could hold, uh, albeit bad, but a full conversation in Cantonese with lots of mistakes on limited subjects, but I could still have a conversation. And I was like, whoa, dude, I can actually do this. I remember it was a, it was a sunny, it was Thursday in the afternoon. I was sitting at work. It was really sunny outside. <laughs> Sounds like something from a picture book. I just remember th- looking out the window. But my lesson was about seven to eight in the morning. And I was sat in the office. This was at like 2 p.m. And I was still smiling to myself about how that italki lesson went. I was like so happy all day. So I did that. You know, I started embracing the dialogue approach that Ollie did. And then I also uh, stumbled onto two other people that I think influenced me quite a lot. So the Benny Lewis thing I said, kind of that phase kind of came and went Uh, I don't put as much emphasis on speaking now but two people that I did take a lot from was uh, a Canadian uh, polyglot called Steve Kaufman and his website link and the other one was the website all Japanese all the time um, which I looked at as well and then as I started reading more of this stuff I was like okay this makes a lot of sense and it seems to probably have answers to some of the problems that I'm having right now so let's just give it a go. And then after two years of doing this with Cantonese basically lots of intensive listening reading immersive input like methods you then decided to do the same thing with chinese uh, mandarin chinese by that point you'd sort of realized that these methods work and you then spent a year in taiwan is that right yeah so 
I did something called applied for something called the annual enrichment scholarship. So I was lucky enough to get a sabbatical from work. So I basically got a year off work without pay to try and focus on this. And I got a scholarship from the Taiwanese government to go and study NT University or MTC, the Mandarin Teaching Centre there, and was doing like the intensive classes there. So that was about three hours of classes a day with about one hour of homework. And then the rest of the time was just basically to do whatever you want, which um, again, spend time doing lots of different things, you know, enjoying your time there, reading in the morning, watching TV shows, going out to KTV with my Taiwanese friends, going hiking and speaking to people, you know, like going scuba diving, bowling, whatever, you know, just out there enjoying it and trying to like experience as much of it as possible. Yeah. Mm. Did you start that course as a beginner? And I'm interested, like, how much do you think that you had an advantage over your other course mates from the fact that you already knew Cantonese? I think it's kind of like a double-edged sword, to be honest. So with the speaking side, I could definitely pick up, you know, my... Because I came in as a beginner, so I I, I was think I'd studied for about four months when I arrived in the time, and I was put in, I think, middle of the second book. And there's, there's six books, one being the beginner, six being, you know, the highest one in terms of... They say it's based off CEF, CEFR levels, current uh, common European framework of reference, so... Book six is supposed to be like, you know, really, really high, like newspapers and, you know, political debates and stuff. And then one's like, hi, I'm Luke. I'm from England sort of thing. So, so I started with that. And in terms of comprehension, I, I found like listening and the characters was a huge help because I had I did, you know, learn, I don't know, probably about 2000 characters ish when I was when I was learning uh, Cantonese. Um, but obviously the grammar's quite different. And then a lot of the sounds are quite different so a lot of the time I would mix in sounds and you know I remember for my first three semesters so that was nine months of time on more or less the first day every single time my, my teacher was just like wait do you know Cantonese and I'm just like how do you know like, you know because I was like messing up the sounds so a lot of them I'd, it took like a few weeks for my fourth semester one to know so I obviously got better but I was mixing up certain words like I don't know like one of my friends was like Si, si kao de si was like in her first name and I was just like oh yeah her name's like Asi and they were just like what like, you, why are you saying that like a Hong Konger I'm like Asi well, how do you say it then I'm like oh Asi uh, fine whatever so I messed up a lot of that but to be honest um, when I was in class like I found most of the people from western like countries like America Canada Australia England would tend to choose the non-intensive ones and the people that would be tend to be more serious would be from Japan and Korea so most of my uh, classmates were J Japanese, Korean and Vietnamese and I feel like why I had a you know a decent start in Cantonese compared to being say a na native Japanese speaker who can basically write all the characters they want then I felt there was a massive gap between me and my classmates especially in terms of write writing ability. From watching your videos, it seems like certainly you were able to get to a conversational level where you were able to have conversations and the other person would understand what you were saying pretty quickly, like within, a, uh, I think, about four months. Yeah, well, that, that, well, that, was, that was my first time uh, speaking. It's still on my channel if anyone's interested and you can hear the amount of well, the, the pronunciation is just absolutely awful. Looking back in hindsight, it was absolutely terrible. And so many sounds are just wrong, like the A-U, O-U would always mix up from Cantonese, like this sound, some of the tones were like eh, all over the place really, but like, you know, I could still, and this is one of the things that kind of persuaded me on, on input-based learning, because I guess in, in science or in engineering, you sometimes think of like the path of least resistance, or I guess just, you know, people say that in general, don't they? 
And I, I always feel that like now in hindsight, now I've experienced both sides of the coin. I feel like doing the input first and then speaking after, it takes up so much of that initial struggle. When I first started speaking Cantonese, um, it, it was so hard, you know, I, I could barely say a word and my brain was just fried after every single lesson. Whereas getting a lot of input first, obviously it's still really hard when you first start speaking, but, but it's like, maybe I don't know, maybe like 10 times easier. Like you could... If when you start speaking, you can already understand what the, the teacher's saying, and it's just a case of me trying to form myself, that's at least 50% of it you don't have to worry about. And then the stuff I do say, it's kind of like somewhere in my head already, and I just have to figure out how to put it together. So yeah, I, I think after about four months in, of learning Mandarin, I did have a conversation. Um, again, it's on YouTube, you can have a look, but it, it wasn't great, but it was a conversation, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you just made, which is that particularly when you're studying a language like Chinese, there's just so much at first to concentrate on. There's characters, there's uh, tones, there's all of these different things that are completely new. There's the fact that every piece of new vocabulary has nothing to do with English. So what you're saying is if you can free up some headspace, so none of your efforts are invested in trying to understand because you can already understand, then it frees up a lot of space to concentrate on other things. I'm wondering if in the past two years, since you've been learning Mandarin, are there any other ways that you would say that your philosophy on language learning has evolved? Yeah, um, so I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, actually. I guess having read things like the All Japanese All The Time website, which was a blog about this guy who learned Japanese through immersion methods, and then, you know, reading linguistics papers from people like, like Stephen Krashen and Benico Mason and others that work in like, that comprehensible input sphere, they, they paint this very, like, I don't know, like, it's a sunshine and rainbows picture. Like, you just have to get input, then everything else will just fall into place magically. Um, and I kind of did that, and I did that with Mandarin as well. So they're like, eh, I roughly looked at what the tones are, it's fine, it'll figure itself out, I'm getting a lot of input. I don't need to rough worry about the pronunciation, it's fine, I'm getting a lot of input. I think for a long time, my, my pronunciation and stuff was quite bad because I, I was just, just focusing so much on input and when I was speaking I was just like yeah I don't have to think I'll just say whatever comes into my head brain and just spur it out and it should be fine and why people could understand me looking at the videos back then it, it's really cringy to watch and I, I remember thinking and this probably falls into the Dunning-Kruger effect thing that sometimes you know you think you're a lot better than you are like I remember going on a language exchange with someone when I was in Taiwan this was about five months in and I was saying stuff and he was like, I can't understand what you're saying. And I was thinking, well, my teachers understand me, so it's obviously your problem. But, you know, in hindsight, it's just, you no know, teachers are obviously used to listening to terrible accents and pronunciations and people butcher the language whereas a normal person wouldn't be. So what, what I think now is that if I was to do it over again, I would have spent more time learning the fundamental sounds, like start with, like, mouth positions, tongue positions, you know, like if you do, like, the, I don't know, like, the G, you want, like, the top, the middle of the tongue pressed against there, then tip like down by you know stuff down by like the bit between your like uh, the bottom jaw between the tooth and the gum you know, kind of their area and then you know whether you where you block air whether you don't block air like do all these sorts of things and fine I don't think you're realistically going to be able to think about that when you're speaking but I think gaining that knowledge at least like puts it on the map in your brain and makes you start to like like pay attention to the sounds a bit more than you would have because it's something that I've experienced in my learning is that whenever I'm learning something, my brain will learn to the point where I can understand and then I won't listen past that. I'll be like, yeah, that's good enough. Like, you know, if I put on a podcast this morning, I listen and I'm like, yeah, I can understand what they're saying. Why do I need to listen past that? But really, if you want to develop a really good accent, a really good pronunciation, it's what uh, me and one of my friend Lawrence was helping me work on at the moment, which I did a video on my channel before. And he was like, no, 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 you need to like 
stop focusing on what they're saying, pick a slow content and we watch it over again. Like, how's their mouth making the shapes? You know, what muscles are moving? What position is their tongue? You know, does it sound like this? Does it sound like a sh? Or does it sound like there's an ass? Does it sound like a sh? You know, like, what what are they doing? And really pick up on all these details. And I, I have never done any of this before, so it's all quite new to me. But I think if I'd have done some of that before, it would have probably saved more time now in terms of trying to like bring it back up to speed. Hmm, I think that's really interesting. I've had similar experiences. One thing that it has made me think about is that not all languages are the same. What Matt versus Japan describes, which is a very powerful story, is that almost entirely through like like space repetition and mostly immersion, he was able to reach this kind of really high level in Japanese and in terms of pronunciation, close to native, except for with pitch accent. And I think one of the crucial differences between Chinese and Japanese is that obviously Chinese is a tonal language and in Japanese pitch accent doesn't matter as much as tones because, you know, people can still talk with not very good pitch accent and be understood, whereas in Chinese, like, it's not really like that. And I think that with Chinese, if you don't really focus on tones in particular as part of that, the pronunciation, I, I've never met anybody who was able to just through immersion pick up tones. I don't know if that exists, and I think that actually it requires focused attention and a kind of training, which immersion alone won't do. So I completely agree with all the things that you said there. The theme of this podcast and what I wanted to discuss with you, things that we have found while learning Chinese that were easier than we expected and versus things that were harder than we expected. And I was wondering if I could start by raising something that was slightly easier than I expected, which is that getting to an initial conversational level in Mandarin Chinese where I was able to converse and be understood and chat away with Chinese people about different topics. Once I discovered comprehensible input, which was about two years into learning Chinese, it took me probably about six to eight months before I, I reached that level. And that happened very rapidly. And it was an extremely giddy and exciting experience to have. So I would say that that initial ascent to a kind of initial conversational level that's very gratifying was possibly slightly easier than I expected for a language like Mandarin Chinese once I discovered comprehensible input. Would you say that your experience was similar in that regard? Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the, and I think this is something that's very hard to appreciate from from the perspective of someone who's not been through the process before, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions for people that haven't had the experiences that it's you know, people say, oh, do you speak X? Do you speak Y? Are you fluent in X? Are you fluent in Y? And it kind of gives the feeling that it's a binary thing. But, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's not a binary thing. It's not like that. So, you know, if I give an example for, for my Mandarin at the moment, I'll struggle to talk about the geography of China just because there's loads of words that I don't know, loads of places, names that I don't know. But I, 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 I talked about the, you know, the Big Bang Theory, not the TV shows and where it comes from, about redshift and how that happens and you know how the universe is expanding and I could talk about my friends with that because I've read books relative to that so it's just because it uses a completely set of set of words so I think the thing when you're learning a new language is that this is going to sound kind of intimidating if I word it like this but it's true is that everything you've ever thought or ever have thought or have ever known has a new word now so you know just because you know the word for I don't know double standard doesn't mean you know the word for pillow so you know or, or the shoelace so you can you could have a political debate on the TV in a new language and then not know how to say I need to time my shoelace because it just hasn't come up. So I think that's the, that's the weird thing about learning a new language. And the 
the, the most common words is going to be covered across all the bases. You know, like they say, like the most a thousand common words covers like 80%, blah, blah, blah. People always talk about that. I think getting to that stage when you have that sort of base and you can have basic conversations, you know, the amount of words you need isn't isn't actually that high. But to then go from there and go to a stage where you can talk about a variety of different topics in detail, that the amount of words that you need to know is just exponentially higher and higher and higher. And I find it very hard to see how anyone would do that in a reasonable time without being extremely well-read or just watching a lot of content. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this brings me to a point that I think that you've sort of made on Twitter and I've reacted to on Twitter, which is that if we take the European framework, which is A1 to C2, where A1 is complete beginner and C2 is close to native. If we apply that to Chinese, then I think that it's a pretty brutal picture to paint because... Sometimes I think that the highest proficiency exam, HSK6, when I look at the word list that it contains, that you need to pass that exam, sometimes I even wonder if this is like A1. (laughs) I'll give another example. I speak Spanish because I'm bilingual in Spanish. I'm half Spanish. And if I turn on Italian radio without having studied Italian for a day in my life, there are times when I will understand more than if I just randomly switch on Chinese radio and it happens to be on a topic that I don't know very much about because there are so many cognates in Italian. So if I started Italian tomorrow, I would be considered a beginner A1. So in in that sense, my Chinese is, is not quite even A2. It's not quite even like the higher beginner level after four years. So I think it speaks to what you were saying about like how long it really does take to reach a genuinely high advanced level of Chinese and, and that that's brings us nicely to like the second part of what I want to discuss which was harder things which are harder than we expected and I think that that's to certainly what I would mention as something that was harder than I expected I didn't realize it would be this difficult to once I got to that conversational level I described which was maybe a year and a few months ago um, where I could start having conversations and be understood by Chinese people to get from that to where I can switch on the radio and understand Chinese radio is is worlds apart and I hadn't realized that. I mean I was I was listening to SBS Mandarin the Australian Mandarin station and they were just having a random chat about infertility and there was just so much vocabulary there that they were talking about freezing eggs and all this kind of thing and I understood like 95% of it because they were chatting using like all of the words that I know but I did, I understood 0% of the meaning because like the key words were missing. <laughs> That would be my, what I would say was uh, harder than I expected, getting to a level of listening proficiency where without relying on subtitles, you're able to just fluently understand random radio current affairs programming in the way that if I switched on Radio 4, I'd just be able to understand it fluently. What would you say about listening fluency? Would you concur with with that in, in your experience? I, I guess straight off that, so there was an article and I think it was, it was something like, what does 80% comprehension actually look like? And they basically have texts in English and replace in the in the 80% one, you know, that's one in every five words you don't know. So you think 80% sounds like a big number, but that's one, one fifth, one in every five words that you don't know. And they replace one in every five year words with a gibberish word. And then they do the same for 90% and 95 to show you in your native language what these comprehension levels actually feel like. And I think it demonstrates really well that, you know, 90% comprehension in terms of amount of words isn't very high because because you miss any level of sort of detail um with, with the 95 one it was starting or was it 98 in the last one i can't remember i think it might have been 98 there's one in 50 words you don't know you can start to like gather a lot more from context and you can start to figure it out you're like okay well based on that and what i know i think that gibberish word they made up 
it's at least it's some sort of food or it's you know it's a type of thing here or it's this sort of thing so it, i think that is kind of good uh, evidence at least to me to show about hitting that right comprehension range for picking stuff up through, through context the, the other thing an immediate thought that you have off that is at least for me for a long time you know when i was putting on and i to be honest i don't really listen to the news very often there's there's a few um Taiwanese YouTubers that are like that do news sort of things, but it's a more of like a casual setup, which um I mean that's the sort of thing I'd watch in English, so I'd tend to you know, watch you know, watch stuff that you like is something that I'm a big proponent of. Um there's a a YouTuber called uh Chi 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 and it's he just does videos on different topics and then when I was first starting off, I could watch one video, let's say about coronavirus, because that's everyone's favourite topic at the moment, and understand, you know, like ninety eight percent or ninety nine percent and then the next day go on a different topic and then understand like 50% because the words just haven't come up and it's again it's that thing of getting to that stage where you have a sufficient vocabulary but but for me for listening I, I would in my head I split it up into different stages so the first stage is when everything sounds like gibberish you know you can't tell where a word starts and where a word ends so the most important thing to do when you first start learning a language is kind of building that feel for the sound system so you can actually start to hear the sounds more clearly at least if someone a native speaker speaks and it's not really mumbled or it's in an accent that you're not familiar with as long as it's you know in decent conditions you can have a good chance at hearing the sounds and then once you're in the position of i can hear the sound i just don't know what that sound means then it's the vocabulary thing that's holding you up if if you're in the later stage and you can hear all the sounds that they're making you go oh, i don't know what that word means and it's just a vocabulary thing that in my opinion is i mean it's a, a very good place to be but it's also very frustrating because it takes so long to overcome this but it's, it's just a case of in that position i think reading becomes so powerful because once you can hear the sounds it's literally just a words game from that point um and you know from that point you should also probably have accumulated a decent amount of grammar so it's just a case of if you want to learn i don't know how, how to listen to news articles about the political climate in i don't know between china and taiwan then let, maybe you could read a book about that or something so again going back to recent example I, I quite like talking about science so you know i've read the three-body problem um the, the, the sci-fi trilogy and also recently just now the uh, a brief history of time by stephen hawkins because it gives me the words that i need to talk about these things and because it's no longer a listening point at this at this stage it's more of like a, i need words to understand these things on a more positive note then can you think of anything that was easier than you expected it to be in your language journey so for that for me i would say um something that i found a lot easier than i expected would probably be two things would come to mind immediately i mean the first one would be to understand like the really basic tv tv shows like your sort of i don't know like meteor gardens uh, uh, the classic that a lot of beginners watch uh, that i know uh, other stuff like that you know like the, the really cringy like romance taiwanese dramas or something or you know they've probably got them in china china as well like understanding that sort of thing to get to that stage i found actually quite quite okay and quite doable because for one they speak pretty clearly especially if you've got chinese subtitles getting to the stage where you can understand that i found to be not provided you're doing the right methods you know and while i say not that bad i mean in the space of about half a year to a year i think realistically you can be understanding most of these sorts of things if, if you're putting in a lot of time into it and the other thing i think that came a lot easier than i would expect it will be to the get to the point where i can get to the point where i can read novels in in chinese because i guess one thing that is unique to Chinese that makes news a lot more difficult is they have a lot of I don't know what the official term for it is but you have the sim simpler more colloquial way to say something 
and then there's the more formal version of it that would be used in say the news so so for example if you were talking about like the ba construction to like grab something that is you know one of the let's say common beginner grammar points that people learn well in the news they don't might not use it they might use something like a chang or if you take the word like joe like the character joe which is like uh, again the grammatical particle which means like oh you're going to do something quite soon or whatever then instead that might change to something like bien in a in a news article so those pairs make it quite interest and um, quite difficult if you're not used to it but a lot of uh, books when they're written they don't actually do that a lot of the time they can be written quite quite colloquially and again what would hold you back would be vocab on specific things so for me, reading books about non-fiction topics in particular, so I read Steve Kaufman's book about language learning in Chinese. Um, I don't know, I read Benny Lewis's book in Chinese, I read Atomic Habits, stuff like that is actually surprisingly easy um, because the, 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 the vocab is, the grammar is not super complex, it's not using that more formal spectrum and the vocab's not using a really wide range either. So we've covered something that was easier than I thought it would be. We've covered something that was harder than I thought it would be. We've covered something that was easier than you expected it to be. So the only thing left now is to cover something that was harder than you expected it to be. So what would that be for you? I guess the pronunciation thing is because I think I got too into following like the sort of age at, like, you know, becoming too much of a crash night and what, you know, Benico Mason and all of those people again that I thought if I just exposed myself, I'd just pick up the, 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 the sound system naturally and I wouldn't have to work at it at all to sound good. I, I listen to myself when I speak Chinese now and it, it's, it's you can tell pretty pretty clearly that I'm not Taiwanese or I'm not Chinese, you know, there's still the accent there, there's still things that I mispronounce. So it's I think I think to get to the stage where you actually sound good, you have to put in a lot, a lot of work. And that is something that as someone who's never really spent the time, I mean, I, I've had a really bad ear for things most of my life i mean I, i'm completely tone deaf when it comes to to singing like I, I remember once when i was in music class when i was like 15 we had to sing for like part of the class and then they were like the teacher was like no no you're getting it wrong so i was like fine i'll just lip sync this time then it was like oh much better everyone i'm like yeah right i'm not gonna sing again <laughs> you know so I, I i can't i'm not very good with that sort of stuff naturally um so i don't know if that's just something that personally that i find difficult because of what i tend to be good whereas my, my brain's more has always been more like the logical side and figuring stuff out so whereas the character system i found quite interesting and and taken to it and didn't find it as hard as maybe someone else would have but where, where i think the pronunciation is quite hard in mandarin and i guess on the on the pronunciation front as well the the, the tones i guess because uh, i'd already done tones with cantonese when i did it with mandarin i didn't really think much about it when i jumped into it so i just kind of started speaking and while now i look back i think my my, my first tone my second tone came out pretty good because they have those in cantonese so that's you know pretty good my third tone's better than my fourth tone and uh, my fourth tone is just pretty unstable to the point where sometimes i think i've said something fourth tone and people are like oh that should be fourth tone i'm like i, I thought he said that you know <laughs> um and you know that that's again because I, I i didn't i don't really stress it enough so i was just kind of too too lazy and not diligent enough with really making an effort with the sounds as a beginner that it's kind of formed some bad habits going forwards one of the things i find with tones in particular I feel like actually like nailing the tones is half the battle because like one thing I found recently through working on tones intensively is that I go through, I, I work with like a native speaker. Um, I read sentences out and then 
she'll read them out and I'll try and imitate her. And one thing I've found is that even when I nail all the tones, she'll say, you nailed all the tones, but you don't sound native or uh, still a reasonable gap because of something that was mentioned in the video interview that you did with your last guest, the, the kind of rhythm of sentences and, and that nailing the tones is, is one part of it. But once you're at a stage where you're getting most of the tones right, there's still a lot of work to do. And there's uh, Lauma who's like, uh, so he, he introduced to me the concept of shadowing and he has a really good video on that I can put in the link to the description where you basically you, rec you record yourself repeating set sentences to get closer to native speaker but but yeah that I just wanted to add that bit about like sort of rhythm and prosody and that it's not all about tones although initially that's where the focus is I guess yeah 100% and um, yeah I've seen that video too because um, he speaks absolutely exceptional Chinese it's everything from you know like the body language to, to rhythm and intonation to, to, to tones and in pronunciation of individual sounds and they're all kind of rolling in together to make you sound like a native speaker which I think is why it's so hard because if any one of these number of elements is, is wrong in a, in a dynamic moving conversation you're going to sound off and to a native speaker it's going to be incredibly obvious <laughs> whereas to a learner of that language it's a lot harder to hear and sometimes when you ask for feedback if you're at the stage where there's going to be realistically multiple multiple things you're getting wrong every sentence even if it's a simple one then they're not going to be able to correct every single one i think the first time i heard of a, a similar method um is a is a lecturer in taiwan and she, she was she's in a university lecture there but she is a ted talk on the echo method as someone who's learned chinese as a foreign language and she gives a ted talk in chinese and sounds she sounds like a taiwanese woman <laughs> You know, like, I think the first time I watched the TED talk, I, w I was listening to it and then I looked at it later. I was like, wait, she's not Taiwanese. <laughs> I didn't even realise, you know, um, she speaks really good. And sh she talked about a similar method called the echo method where, I mean, the, the only difference really would be you listen to something, you pause and let it replay in your head once and then you repeat after that. And again, it's basically just comparing yourself and said doing that and practising every day. And that's how she, she did it. And there was something that I thought was really clever in that. She gave... A video at the start and this was for English learners she gave a video of Mark Zuckerberg speaking Chinese at when he was in I think the earlier stages of learning and you know it was all over the place the tones were wrong the, the using the English vowel system it's but it's really hard to understand and then she just and then she made the point because most people say oh you know I don't I don't need to speak like a native it doesn't matter if I have an accent as long as people can understand me but she made the point of but how how much effort and how much mental energy does the other person need to expend to understand that the conversation so the heavier or the further your accent is from the standard, it's going to be harder and harder for, for, for the other people to understand you. So she gave that as an example. And I, I thought it was really clever and that the talk's really good. And again, I can I can link that as well. But you definitely can work on, on pronunciation and tones. And there's lots of people that have. Well, Luke, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting talking to you and learning about your insights about pronunciation and everything else. I think this has definitely been the most in-depth podcast that I've done with any guest so far. So it's been really interesting. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you uh, so much for inviting me. If you can't tell, I really enjoy talking about this stuff. So that brings us to the end of another episode of the I'm Learning Mandarin podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can once again subscribe on imlearningmandarin.com to have new podcasts and blogs pinged straight to your email. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Google, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So until next time, goodbye.